and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today, Friday, we conclude the week with Minute 95, which begins with Ripley still running down the corridor and ends with Ripley pulling down a lever with very sweaty fingers. So it's the end of the week, which means it's our last day with Mariah E. Gates. Thanks for uh, spending the week with us, Mariah. It's, it's been a blast. All right, so minute 95. Mitch, why don't you get us rolling here? Well, I think that this is, you know, this is kind of a, a payoff for these five minutes. And once again, the movie seems to fall into these beautiful 30-second and 60-second increments. And so we're continuing with this crazy, frantic effort by Ripley to get to Lambert and Parker. And really, it seems like the big point of this is to kind of tell the audience what has happened to them but it doesn't exactly do that right not really i mean you expect the inventory shot of who's dead and where they are and instead we get a sort of cryptic shot of what seems to be parker's leg swinging detached in the foreground his torso slumped in the background no sense of where that alien jabbed him with its tooth tongue and no sign of Lambert whatsoever. You know, I didn't realize that that was half of that was Parker and half of that, or that it was all Parker. I honestly thought half of it was Lambert. Well, this raises a question because I uh, saving this part of the Veronica Cartwright interviews uh, for this minute. She said that she was hung from a meat hook. Uh, her legs were shot swinging in the foreground with Parker in the background and I've seen a still frame of this where it's clearly her legs. And I'll, I'll point out, too, the pants are gone uh, in the shot. It's just legs uh, all the way up to the thigh. So that's interesting reading there. But I think that this version here that we're getting, it's a different shot altogether. It's the camera's set in a different place. And I do think that we're getting Parker's legs uh, huh. here. I, I'm, I'm not – Mitch looks really confused right now. Well, yeah, because I, I, I thought that – it was his skin. I thought no, it was it is. dark I'm, skin. It wasn't fair. It wasn't a fair-skinned woman's leg I'm, covered in blood. Yeah, I'm not saying what we see is ah. that. I'm saying there was a shot of that that she remembers shooting it, and I've seen a still frame of it, and you can see. But you can also see in the background of that frame, of that still frame, Parker's legs are gone. They actually have Yafet Kodo, you know, set in the floor uh -huh. and little fake nubs and everything. So. Or, or not even nubs, just the torso is split, and you're getting the implication that he was split in half. I think that they decided in the last minute to just have his legs be the ones in the foreground and not tell us what happened to Lambert exactly at all, which I think is a good call. But it is kind of confusing. I could say the first few times I saw this movie, I didn't know what was happening here. I was just shocked, and, oh, he's dead. I don't know what's in the foreground. I'm not even sure how it, how this shot framed up in a, on a you know, pan and scan VHS tape. So, oh yeah, I so probably had sure. a weird pan put into it. But probably. it's all sold, frankly, by the preceding shot. That shutter that Ripley gives out is pretty good shutter. I no. kind of, I kind of buy the revulsion. Well, I'm confused, and obviously didn't pay attention close enough because I honestly thought it was um, both of their bodies. So, so now I don't know how to feel. <laughs> it's, it's you know what'll be interesting is to hear not, what other not, people think. Yeah, not um, knowing now that that's not supposed to be like part of that's not supposed to be Lambert. It it is kind of upsetting that we don't know what happened to her like at all. Because you get, I mean, it's you get the same with Dallas. You never see his dead body either. 
but you also don't have as much of a buildup to his demise. And he, and since he's sort of the first one to go missing, it, it's not when you start having bodies pile up. But I guess you, ne- but I guess you never really see Brett's body either. No. So this is really the only body you see. In both of those deaths, you instantly go to Parker, in one case saying, that thing must be huge after Brett dies. So it puts a pin in that one. Mm-hmm. And then with Dallas, it's like, you know, we found this. No sign of Dallas. This is all we found. And no so blood. again, yeah. no blood. So that's got a pin put in that. But with this, the one thing that's kind of left unexplained is the payoff to Lambert. And I don't know. It kind of, I don't know how I feel about that because I, I like her and I feel like she deserves something. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah the- she's, she's really the only one like who never gets mourned either by a character or by the camera, you know? Like, cause no, cause no one's mourning Parker, but we are because we've seen his dead body. Mm-hmm. But like, nobody's mourning her body. And in the, you know, in the director's cut too, so we know their what their intentions were originally. We do get a payoff for Brett and Dallas, so we get payoff for everybody. We get Kane. We get a full funeral for Kane. We get um, Dallas. Ripley kills Dallas. Finally, puts him out of his misery. We see Brett to his right. In the script, we had the the flippant line of Lambert got eaten, but even in the they never shot that. So uh, obviously, we get Parker here. And why? What was it about Lambert that made them either ignore her entirely or dispatch of her in such an insulting way? As it's just was there ever at any point in this? You know, in my investigation of Lambert here. I'm not finding anywhere where they gave her a good, uh, a proper ending. And it's, it's odd. I don't know why. It's, it's very strange. And I mean, like she's one of the most antagonistic characters throughout the film in terms of like, she is always complaining. She is always going, ugh, why are we even still here? Like, why don't we just leave? Um, so it's, it almost feels like the film never really wants you to like her. Like she's never given a moment where you're like, I relate to her. Um, but also like in reading sort of some of, some of the ways that Ripley, or that Ripley, that Ridley filmed with her almost makes me feel like he really used her like a piece of meat in a very Hitchcockian, Hitchcockian way. And I don't mean that as a good thing. Like when the, I guess like, you know, nobody was told that the body, like all that blood and everything was going to come out when the thing bursts from the stomach and then they held the camera on her actual real shock. And I really hate it when filmmakers do that to their actors because they're actors and they should be able to do their job and not actually be scared. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a terrible thing to do to someone you've hired. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, as we've gone along through this movie, uh, doing the show with different guests and then other Ways that Lambert takes a lot of shit from people. Most people just dismiss her entirely. And I I can kind of not blame them in a way because the, the film doesn't give you a lot. Um, and that's part of the problem. I've always, uh, you said that they don't, they don't want you to relate to her. They never give you anything. I do relate to her. I would be pretty shocked. I would, this kind of stuff, I look at her and I go, yeah, I'd probably respond in similar ways. I would probably be like, what the fuck are we doing? Let's get out of here. This is clearly not where we should be which I do think is her function within the narrative is to keep reminding us of the, of this fact and, and be our surrogate. You know, one of the things 
I'll, I'll have to put this to bed now because she is now passed. Uh, my theory is that Lambert is this way because this is her one true fear. Like this was the one thing that was in the back of her mind. Her worst nightmare was, well, I'm a, I've gone to school to be a navigator. I've taken this job with Whaley and Yutani. They're going to put me on the ship. But man, it's space. I don't know what's out there. What if I meet the devil? And I think that's part of why the catatonia that she experiences in this, like in her death and so on. I, I can, buy, I can buy that. Yeah. I can totally buy that. Um, speaking from experience, not that I am a navigator, but uh, my, what my major fear is not death, but being abducted by aliens. And I blame my father because he rented every single alien abduction movie that he could find when I was like six and seven. Yeah. Fire and in the sky, right? Fire <laughs> took, took me to see, he took me to see fire in the sky. Like, I still have nightmares. I know grown people who saw that movie. They were adults and they have nightmares. Um, that's a terrifying film. But like, so I, I, I get, I totally can uh, agree that like, if I were her and suddenly, and I knew there were aliens about or like some sort of creature, I would lose my shit because I, I generally keep it pretty cool under most circumstances. But the minute that there's like some sort of creature, I, I'm out. I can't handle it. Because I, I know that there, I, I've been one of those people that I'm pretty sure there's there's life out there. And I'd like to believe that they're like Spock and they're nice. But I also know how horrible like humans can be and the animal kingdom can be. So like, I don't know. I feel like this sort of, you know, angry hunting creature is just as likely to be the alien species that are out there as an intelligent science alien. I agree. Like when I was growing up, I was never afraid of monsters and things under the bed because I believed that we, you know, I mean, to put it in adult terms, I believed that we knew everything that was out there. And, you know, unless a tiger comes into my room, it's not going to be a problem that some predators is going to pounce on me in my sleep. I was, what I was afraid of was disease. I was always terrified of sickness mm. growing up. And that was my, my, you know, my nightmares were about that. Because it was something that's real. It's out there. They would have these TV movies about kids getting leukemia and stuff. It would terrify yeah. me. Yeah. But if you added in, if you, if I left this earthly realm, you know, literally left Earth and went into the unknown of space, then all bets are off. Uh, that's why I sort of where this theory comes from. I think I would be the same way. If you put me on a spaceship and said, you're going way out there, there might be other life out there. Well, I don't know what that other life is. Then that's beyond my imagination. And that's terrifying. So I could, I can totally relate with Lambert on this greatest nightmare thing. I would probably, that would probably keep me from ever taking the job actually is what it would do for me. Yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, wanted, I wanted to give Lambert a, a good, the movie doesn't give her a good closing, but I wanted to give her one on this show at least and say, Lambert, we, I relate to you a little bit. We're going to miss you. Yes. So with that in mind, we spend the last few seconds of this minute focused entirely on Ripley. Yeah. I thought, I thought this shot where it starts out from her point of view as if she's the camera for a good deal of it. And then suddenly the camera doesn't keep up with her and she passes the camera and you go into like this voyeurism moment again. And that's like sort of the beginning of the end for me where I'm, I sort of stop loving the film um because that 
for me feels like the moment from there in on out, you're really watching Ripley in a way that you weren't like you were going around along with Ripley. And then now because she's the only one left, the camera sort of stops going along with her and starts just really following her in kind of a creepy way. Taking pleasure in, in her misery. Yeah. Which is one of the transgressive pleasures of the horror film, like it or not. I mean, it's that sadism on the part of the of the viewers. And I think you can probably try to identify with her and try to be in her head. But it's always problematic, I think, with these kind of movies. And the fact that it's a woman probably makes it worse. Yes. That's interesting. I've never, I guess I've never read it that way. I mean, I see as soon as you say it, I, I can see this sort of, you know, the mouse in a maze kind of thing that begins here. That we're now... Well, we got nobody else to worry about. Let's just like sit back and watch how she responds to this. But I don't know. I guess I always felt like this was um, this seated me in her point of view more. I don't know. Maybe I I must have missed something because I, to me, I'm like totally in with her now, a hundred percent, and rooting for her, and I believe in her when she's doing all these things. I think you know I believe in her competence. Like I think as I'm watching her in the next few minutes you know, methodically program this self-destruct mechanism that she's going to make it, you know, until this alien gums up the works again. But I never thought that's an interesting way. I'm I'm glad you brought that point of view because that was a point of view that was absent for me. So you would say then she sort of the badass that she becomes in aliens. um, She's at the point where she should become a real badass at this point, but she doesn't. Is that, is that a fair, is that a fair summary of your thought on it? That's kind of, how I'm feeling. Yeah. I mean, they, they sort of, I mean, it doesn't really start until after this minute, but the shift starts there where instead of her really, I mean, she does get to be a badass towards the end. She does take out the alien and all that, but they, before they let her do that, they start to, um, objectify her a little bit in a way that they never really objectified any of the characters. Um, and I don't know that it was necessary. I don't even think, to be honest, I don't think the last 10 minutes of the film is necessary. I feel like once she and the cat make it onto the escape pod and shoot off into wherever and leave the alien behind, like, I would have been happy thinking that. And, like, they could have left us with, like, did was the alien still there maybe and ended it and I would have been happier. You know, what I, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't I didn't need to see her actually kill the alien. And I didn't need to see... I just needed to see her get off the ship. Yeah, and in terms of those last minutes, I, I, I want to say that we've recorded a conversation about some of those last minutes, and so uh, we're going to we're gonna magically bring you back when we get to those minutes and <laughs> get some thoughts on that stuff, if that's all right with you. Yes, that sounds fantastic. But, so... What I did like about this last little minute that we're talking about, though, was how a good deal of it was the story was told sort of with what you hear. And I I said this during one of the other minutes, the sound design in this film, I think, is really great. And for the most part, and and really tells you a lot of what you need to know using sound. And I and I always love it when a film does that, because it's it's not just a visual medium medium, it's the oral medium. And not all filmmakers manage to combine the two effectively. And I think the bulk of the film, Ridley Scott does a really good job of using both facets of film to really t- tell you what he wants you to know. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And I think when it's at its best, the score helps out with that too. I also have one big note with a bunch of exclamation points that says Final Girl. So I was wondering if there's any, I, I, I haven't done a lot of reading on Final Girls, but I was wondering if there's like any thoughts on the idea of Ripley as a Final Girl, since she basically is. Yeah, I mean, she is. Um, I don't know how much the uh, issue of sexuality enters into the final girl. I mean, I know like in Halloween, the virgin is the one who who escapes. You know, she's Laurie's the only one who hasn't had sex. Um, and I guess that kind of goes back to the old medieval powers of, of, of the virgin who can call the unicorn and all that sort of stuff. But it certainly seems to me that she's a final girl. I can't see any argument against it. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think she's definitely, if you're really looking at this as a horror film, which I'm I'm sure Scott, you know, would want us to, like a horror film within a sci-fi, like, packaging, um, she's definitely a final girl, which is interesting because in the the original script, right, she wasn't designed as, she wasn't written as a female character, right? No, she wasn't. She was originally, well, Dan O'Bannon's version, everyone was male. Right. Yeah, so I'm, you know, but like, but I'm at the beginning, but the beginning of Dan O'Bannon's version, just to be fair, it does say any character can be any gender. It right. Says it on the first page. Right. Oh, that's good. That's good. So it makes me wonder if, like, in adapting, like, did they eventually they because this is at the height of like Halloween and all those horror movies with the final girls. Like, did they think, hey, let's do this since this is what everyone's kind of doing? I don't know. I think there's some of that in pl- at play here, and. I- I wasn't I wasn't going to jump to that, and you you discussed the final ten minutes a little bit. I wasn't going to jump to that, but this is in the wake of Carrie as well, mm-hmm. and a lot of people. I think John Carpenter was quoted as saying, "Well, once De Palma did that ending of Carrie, everybody had to do a double ending," and I and I only mentioned that here because maybe that's the reason why Ridley Scott fought so hard for those final ten minutes because yeah. he felt strongly that he had to have this other payoff as well. But that could also be part of what's happening here is that, like you said, in the wake of movies like Carrie and in the age of Halloween, they were playing with something. It was just something that was out there. A lot of things that happened in Alien seemed to be part of just what was going on in movies at the time, like not necessarily uh, consciously even. It just was maybe a product of the time that this was something that. Well, and Ridley Scott said he was heavily influenced by Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, and that's another sure. got a final girl in that good one as well. Good final girl, yeah. yeah. Oh man, talk about a great last shot of a movie. <laughs> that movie, that movie's so great. That movie just blows I, my mind. I, I remember the first time I saw that movie. I was in high school and I rented it for to watch on Halloween. I didn't know what I was getting into. My dad had seen it. He did not tell me anything, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what is happening?" I kind of want to meet your dad. He sounds like an interesting character. (laughs) He let us watch a lot of things. Let's just put it that way. And then (laughs) my mom would find out about it later and be like, what? And I'm like, you you could have been paying attention. Yeah. No, he's he's really into subversive horror. He also took us to see Event Horizon. Yeah, it has which some pretty scary everyone, moments. Which everyone, I like. He thought it was just a sci-fi movie. He didn't know he was taking us to a horror movie until it was over. And then we all had nightmares. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, there are a couple of scary spots in that movie for sure. You know, the funny thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that at one point uh, or another in, in one of my classes, I'll just show like the the little five minutes when everybody's seated around seated around the table and she's tied to the chair. And almost nothing happens in that until the very end when they get the hammer out. And it's like, you know, we're going to you can hit him on the head if you want. But just those five minutes 
with no context beyond just knowing it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it just terrifies people. Like so much yeah. so that I'm starting to feel bad about showing it. Like, is it possible that this is actually scarier without seeing the lead up and the and the and the payoff? I don't know. That's all I ever think about with that movie. That's the the you know, I love the movie. But every time somebody says Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm just sitting at the dinner table with those it's <laughs> oh so so just icky disturbing great oh, it's terrible right it's it's the, the family with no with no female influence and this is what happens yep. <laughs> yeah well i think that's probably gonna do it for this minute right that's pretty much all my notes yeah me too all right mariah one last time let them know where they can find you on the internet uh anywhere that you can find old films flicker the handle that would be me all right, and you can find us at AlienMinute.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Uh, come to our Facebook page and discuss the movie with us. Um, also, you know, we'll give the weekly shout-out to Star Wars Minute Podcast, the mothership podcast of the minute-by-minute minute format. And uh, remember, come over to the Tee Public site and uh, check out some of our designs for T-shirts, mugs, and whatnot over there. And we'll see you next week for Minute number 96.